Turn with me to John chapter 18. And as you can tell by the graphic, we're still in this series, What is Truth? And my goodness, has this been expanding in my mind. I'm not going to lengthen this series, but how important this is in the age that we live in. So we're going to read out of John 18, the background to this, which comes out of a scene that we're also familiar with, starting in verse 33. And Pilate entered, this is Jesus' trial before Pilate. Pilate entered the praetorium and called, and again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, this is the first thing we need to see, My kingdom is not of this world. So as we look into this today, we've already talked about this generally, but Jesus is telling us there's a kingdom out there that's not of this world. Just because you can't see it, just because you can't feel it, just because you can't hear what's going on in it, doesn't mean it's not there and doesn't mean it's not real. And Jesus is trying to show Pilate, look, what you're understanding about what's going on here is not based on what's in this world, it's from another kingdom out there that you can't see. And then he goes on to say, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate, obviously trying to understand this, said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You said rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Which is the question of the ages. And here you have the irony that you have an educated man, the, 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 the legal authority, Roman authority of that whole region, standing there in his old trial court, and you have asking the question, what is truth? And then you have standing right in front of him, truth himself. And he couldn't see it. Because this truth comes from another kingdom that's not of this world, but this truth has come into the world, and this man could not see it. And that's where the world is today. Jesus is in the world not walking around as a person with robes on, but Jesus is in the world through the body of Christ, which is us, which is the church. And we are, the, we are Paul calls us, the pillars of the, tr- of the truth. We are the holders of truth and of light in a dark world today. And, and the world looks at us and cannot recognize the truth until we see what we're going to talk about, part of what we're going to talk about today. But I wanted to set that up again. So we began to talk about what this world is like that we're living in. We're living in a world right now that's different than even the world that Jesus walked around in because the philosophies of this world have taken another turn. We're living in a world where that's in darkness, spiritual darkness, intellectual darkness, and yet at a time when there is infinitely more technology, infinitely more means at our disposal for understanding the universe in which we live. A hundred years ago, they couldn't... I remember listening to my grandfather before he died. My grandfather died in 1968. 
And my grandfather, in his lifetime, remembered hearing the announcement that Thomas Edison had invented the light bulb. And the year after he died, we had a man walk on the moon. And we saw it. What happened in the span of one man's life was incredible. But what's happened since that time is exponentially more incredible than what happened up until that time. Just if you look back 10 years, just what we have in a phone now and the technology that we take for granted that's in our hands right now, devices that are just amazing and beginning to think for us, which is scary because we're not doing that good a job thinking on our own, let alone something we've invented thinking for us. But we're living in a world that is also saturated with philosophies and a major philosophy that's out there. It doesn't matter that you remember the name, but I want to give you the name. It's called postmodernism. And this is what we've looked at over several weeks. And the reason we're sharing this is because this is what is being presented to the world as truth. And I'm not here to convince any modern philosopher, I'm not here to convince any postmodernist to give up their philosophy. I'm here to equip the saints to go out into that dark world and not be confused by what's being brought in out there. Because it's not just being taught in, in universities, it's not just being taught in schools as a philosophy. I was a philosophy major in college, and the philosophies that I was taught in college had nothing to do with reality. So it stayed in those ivy-covered walls in the philosophy professors' studies in their classrooms, and they knew how to talk to each other, but they couldn't talk to real people because they were just talking about, you know, how many angels can you sit on the head of a pin, you know, questions that like that that in reality we never have to deal with. But this philosophy has saturated our media, it's saturated our news, our news wor- world, entertainment world, it's in our, in our, it's in our elementary schools, It's everywhere and it's very subtle and my real concern is because it is so subtle it's come into the church and we don't recognize it. And that's the purpose. And to equip you, not so much to win an argument with somebody, but to equip you so that you're not threatened by their arguments and their reasonings because it can be very threatening if you're not used to it. See, I don't get threatened by that. I was trained as a lawyer. As a kid, I used to love and argue. I loved to debate. And as a lawyer, I learned to do that. So I'm not threatened just because somebody doesn't agree with me. But, but if you hear something that sounds like everybody else believes it, it can be threatening to us until we understand what truth is and where we can look to for truth and what we need to defend and what we do not need to defend. And that's the purpose for this study. <clears throat> so we looked at postmodernism and we found that what it's basically teaching is that there's no such thing as truth. So obviously we don't need to go any further because there is no truth, so why ask the question, what is truth? And they've come to that conclusion because their assumption is this, and I've used this example before. This is Pastor Kurt's guitar. So as I look at that guitar, as I look at that guitar, I see a brown facing, I don't know if it's plastic or wood, because I can't tell because I'm not touching it. I see six strings on it, I see a darker wooden side, some yellow, some whitish yellow edging around it, and that's what I see. But, but, but Richie over there might see it from a different angle, and so it looks differently to him. In other words, we look at the world around us through our own perspective, both physical things as well as intellectual, emotional, political things. And so we live in a world where politics is based on opinion polls. It's not based on truth. 
We don't have, we may have some, but we have very few statesmen anymore. When I was growing up, we had statesmen. A statesman was someone, see, one person remembers that. A statesman was somebody that believed in doing what was right according to certain belief systems that they had. And you may not agree with their belief systems, but you could respect their integrity to make decisions not based on what was going to get them reelected, but on what they thought was right. Nowadays, politicians make decisions and run on platforms based on what's going to get them elected or get them elected again. So they go on polls, which are what's popular, what do, what do people want to hear, and I'm going to tell them what they want to hear. No regard for what the truth is. No, and I understand that's an absolute statement, and there are some that do, but they're in the minority. It's, they're very few and far between. Why? Because we've developed this belief that there is no such thing as truth. It's all images. And then I discovered, because what they're saying is, you know, we can't really know it because therefore it must not be out there. That's a major jump in its logic. <clears throat> and because we can't really know it, therefore I have the right to decide for myself what truth is. And truth is whatever I want to make it to be. So language is very important in this philosophy. How you say things and I've used the example several weeks now of, of, you know, you go to a car lot that used to be called used cars. They're now pre-owned cars. Same car. Same four or five owners. But it's just called something different because they've reformed the image of what it is and the subtle change is this. If it's a used car, you get the leftovers. If it's a pre-owned car, those other four owners were just making way for you and getting it broken in for you, but this car really is for you. Can you see the difference? That's called spin in our our vernacular today, but it it is the essence of this postmodern philosophy, this postmodern view. Now, we've talked about the fact that I'm not here to argue against it because it is, log- it is logically defective. Because if there is no such thing as absolute truth, how do we know this is true? Because if this is true, then there is an absolute truth, which means their foundation's wrong. And if it's not true, why should I believe it? But it's so important to understand this because whether you understand that line of thinking or not, Understand this, what this allows now is everybody has the right to decide truth for themselves. So I decide, no, it used to be relative ethics. In other words, whatever I thought was right for me was right for me, whatever you think is right for you, and I'll respect your right to have what's right for you. But this is beyond that. What I believe is truth for me, I am entitled to it. What you believe is truth for you, you're entitled. So I'm not going to ever say anything to you to try to change your idea of what is truth because how do I know that I'm right? I just know I'm right for me and you're right for you. So we'll all get along well because you can do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do. Sounds great, doesn't it? Until you run into somebody else's rights (laughs) or they run into yours. It's called a fender bender. But underneath that, What's underneath that is why you see such pressure against the church to keep us quiet. What right do you have to tell me that I'm wrong, that I'm going to go to hell if I don't receive Jesus Christ? 
Because these other belief systems, why are we knowing that they're not right? In fact, underneath all this, they call these belief systems uh, meta-narratives. I don't want to get into what all that means. But basically what it says, any, any belief system, whether it's political or religious, that tries to explain truth and reality, they're all myths, M-Y-T-H-S. Because you can't know that. So I'll tolerate, you have a right to believe what you want to believe, I have a right to believe what I want to believe, but don't you dare tell me to try to believe what I believe, or what you believe. Because you don't have a right to do that. How should I know that's truth? Do you want to see the subtlety of underlying the message of the gospel? Trying to keep us located within the church, you can say whatever you want in the church, just don't take it out there and make me uncomfortable. Well, here's the problem with that. If we really do believe this gospel... If we really do to believe that in order to get into heaven and avoid hell, you have to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and make Him the Savior, you've got to put your faith in Him, then we have an obligation to take this truth out into a world that's dying and going to hell if we love them. So the whole underlying purpose of this philosophy is to try to frustrate and, and undercut the gospel going out into the world. And that's why it's important for us to understand it. So we began to look at, what a couple of weeks ago, we began to look at uh, how God sees all this. Oh, excuse me, I, I missed a point here. So the first thing that was wrong about it is just it's logically defective. It just failed. It doesn't hold its water by itself. But more importantly is it makes a major assumption. And we're going to see more of that as we go on this morning. The assumption is two assumptions that I know of. First of all, the assumption that in my brilliant mind, (laughs) I can grasp and understand the totality of reality. Because in order to conclude that there is no reality out there, I have to be able to know everything, because I've checked out everything and found out it's not real. You following me? I know this is a little teachy, but I'm trying to explain the the fallacy of all this. So it makes the assumption, I can know everything, that's how I can conclude that there is no truth because I've already examined everything out there and there's no truth that i found. If you really study what these men look at, they look at their own experiences. Just like most atheists, most atheists are, are, are disengruntled believers. I don't mean they were Christians, but somewhere along the line they think God failed them. So they've chosen to turn against God because God's failed them. It's not because they don't believe in God. Romans chapter 1 tells us there's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody believes something about God because nature teaches us. that. So you've got to suppress the truth and righteousness, as Paul says, in order to say there's no God. You've got to intentionally put the truth down, which is why we're accountable for that. And they're accountable for that. It's not ignorance. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, I didn't know. Billy Graham was once asked by Larry King. Those of you that are really young don't remember Larry King. But Larry King had an interview show, very popular, and Billy Graham was asking, all right, if God's God's who you say He is, and and you have to receive Christ to go to heaven, what about all those people that have never received Him? And I love Billy Graham's answer. He didn't get into argument. He didn't go into theology. He just says, I just know about this, about God. That when each one of us stands in front of God, we'll know that whatever He says is right. We'll know it's right. And so, 
I don't want to, I, I'm going to I could get really off on this and I don't want to do that. So what we're looking at this is, the, is there's an assumption in this philosophy of the world that the only reality there can be is what I can see, touch, feel, hear, or taste. I think I covered them all. Either by my smell, thank you, Steve, or, 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 or through instruments that I've created like telescopes and microscopes and probes and all these things. That man, the only things that exist are what our five senses tell us. So that assumes that there's no spirit realm. That assumes that there's no kingdom out there that Jesus says he's king of. That there's no other reality out there that we can't see. That's a major assumption. In fact, I've said before, it's really, in my view, it's an arrogant assumption to assume that us with our brains can understand and know everything enough to say there's no such thing as a spirit realm. The interesting thing is, if you get outside of Christianity in our culture, people are looking for spiritual things all over the place. So you get these spiritual movies like Avatar, which I never saw, and all those things trying to reach out, because something inherent in man knows that there's a realm out there we came from, and they're trying to reach out to it, but they're trying to reach out to it in our own terms, not God's terms. So we have to come up with pa- Harry Potter, or Harry Hotter. <laughs> That's probably better. Harry Potter. We have to come up with those fantasies because something innate in us knows there has to be something out there to believe in, but we don't want it to be God because if it's a God, we have to be accountable to Him. So I want it to be Harry Potter. And we need to understand this difference. And then we looked at what God says about all this. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And God calls man's wisdom on his own foolishness. In fact, I think it's in Proverbs it says, a man who says there's no God is a fool. I don't care if it's Albert Einstein. I don't care if it's that IQ of 395. In God's eyes, they're a fool. And so we looked at that and we looked at that, that God chooses, chooses weak things and things that are not so spectacular in the world to confound those that think they're so hot and think they're so spectacular. And then we looked in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and we saw, but there is a wisdom that God does have. There is a wisdom that God gives to us, but it comes by revelation of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit searches the deep things of God because there are things in God that God has prepared for us that our eyes have not seen, that our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. 1 Corinthians 2.9 The very thing that these postmodernists say don't exist because we can't see them, we can't hear them, nor has it entered into our heart. God says, it's in that realm. I have things for you beyond what you can imagine. But the Holy Spirit's been given to us to reveal those things, even to search the depths of the heart of God. Now turn with me to Ephesians 4, and we're going to begin to look today at, at truth. What, where does truth come from? How can we know truth? Well, you've got to know where to look. When our kids were growing up, one of my favorite things to do at Christmas time, for whatever, if we had a large family present, then I would hide it. I wouldn't just put it under the tree. I would hide it. And uh, um, because I wanted to draw it out a little bit. And, and, uh, but they had no idea where I had it. They didn't even know I had it. Oh, this is good. Oh, oh. oh, this is good. And I wanted them to have it. 
And I wanted them to open it and enjoy it. I wanted to see the excitement on their face, which is kind of why I drew it out a little bit. But they had no idea what I had bought for them, and they had no idea where I'd hid it. So what would I do? I would place a clue in the tree. And that clue would lead them to another clue, which would lead them to another clue, which would eventually lead them to the place where I hid it. This became so exciting to them that on Christmas morning, whenever, they're looking for the clue. They're expecting it to be in there. Now, I don't do this anymore because I got to the point where after everybody was in bed at 12 in the morning, I got tired of coming up with clues. You know, just give it to them. <laughs> but for years, this is what I did. And, and, and because they needed clues. But once they understood this, they began looking for the clues. At first, I had to help them. I had to go, you know, you know what? I see something. What is that little thing in the tree? And one of them would get excited and go pull it out. And say, oh, it's a clue. And they would read the clue and they kind of get together and try to figure out what it was. That's called church. What does this mean? Oh, it means go look over here. And they would go look over here. Sometimes they'd make a mistake. No, it's not it. They'd go back and reread it. Guess what? Sometimes I had to help them a little bit because I was tired when I wrote the clue. And I made made too big a jump. And then they got to go look over here. How? What is it? And and they finally, they get to it. Wow, look at this. There are hidden treasures in here. They're hidden in here. But there's clues all around us. And when we come together at church, we're reading the clues. We're talking together about the clues so we have an idea of where to look. Because you won't find the present if you don't have some if you don't look, and you won't look if you don't have some idea of where to look. And so the Spirit is given to us to reveal those secrets, those presents, those gifts deep in the heart of God, and He gives us clues to draw us. He doesn't just go, ha, huh, here they are. He wants to draw us to Him, draw us to Him, draw us to Him. And that's what we're about this morning. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Most translations just say as the Gentiles walk. Gentiles are people that are unbelievers. That's what it's referring to here. People that have no covenant with God, they're unbelievers. As the, this is talking about the world, and that's what we're, the world that we're talking about. So he says, don't walk as the world walks. And how is the world walk that we shouldn't walk? In the futility of their mind. This is God speaking. God's saying the human mind on its own to try to understand these things is futile. That means it doesn't produce anything good. That you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 18. Having, this, is what ha- this is where they are. Having their understanding darkened. There's no light. Being, why? Because they're alienated from the life of God. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Look at this. He's saying, they have the tremendous ability with their mind to grasp and understand things, but their heart is darkened. Their heart is hard, and the only place you can understand spiritual things is with your heart 
Remember when we ended last week, we were looking in 1 Corinthians 2, and we saw that it's futile for people without God's Spirit in them to try to understand the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. Why? Because they're of the spirit realm. And we used the example of my grandfather's shortwave radio, which picked up radio signals from all around the world, but I would go from one in Russia to one in England to maybe one in, 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 the, in Asia, and I would do it just by turning a very simple dial. And when I turned away from the frequency that the radio broadcast in Russia was from and moved over to the next one and got one from Canada, I could no longer hear the one from Russia. Why? Because the receiver was no longer tuned in to that frequency. And on this wonderfully expensive radio, you couldn't get any FM signals. Expensive radio. But it couldn't get... Why? It was not an FM radio. Therefore, although there were FM signals in the room, it could not discern them because it did not have a receiver tuned into it. And Paul is saying the world is trying to understand with a mind receiver a realm of existence that can only be broadcast on a spiritual frequency, so you need a spiritual tuner within you to pick it up. So understanding when you're talking to your lost relatives and they're trying to bring up some science debate about religion, don't get involved in it. Because you may win the argument, but you, you, you understand this. They're trying to understand spiritual things with a mind receiver. With a mind receiver. Okay. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorances in them. This is not a mind ignorance. This is a spiritual ignorance because of the blindness of their heart. Not their mind, their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. That word lewdness means a lack of restraint. It's just a lack of restraint. And boy, do we see that in the world today. A lack of restraint. Because your mind is not capable of restraining you. To work all uncleanliness and greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, let's stop there. Now, I want to read something to you. I want to read something to you. Because notice in verse 21... I'll read verse 21. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. We're looking today as, all right, what is truth? Where do we find truth? I had to direct our kids to where they found the present. Where do we find truth? Here's our first clue. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Now, I want to read a quote to you. I've been reading a book... um, that, that deals with uh, uh, one of our founding fathers and his, his religious beliefs. And it talks in a section of there about the age of enlightenment. And just bear with me for a minute. As I mentioned to you last week, postmodernism, post, the prefix post refers it's after something. So it's after modernism. So I looked up what's modernism. Modernism was the major belief system before this came out, and that really started in the mid 17th century. When it was called the Age of Enlightenment, Age of Enlightenment, when they came out of the Dark Ages thinking-wise, and you had this explosion of, you know, renaissance of art and thinking, but also an explosion of, of philosophical thinking, and it's called the Age of Enlightenment, and then by Thomas Paine got re as the Age of Reason. 
and that gives you a clue. Because men, these men began, to, they were in England and France and other parts of the world, they began to, 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 to discern by their thinking that, that self is merely my thinking. Whatever I think is self. So Descartes' famous definition of I am, I think, therefore I am. In other words, the reason I know I exist is because I think. And they began to elevate reason as the prominent thing, that, the, the prominent characteristic of man that separates man from everything else. And back in those days, <clears throat> most of them believed that reason came from God. And they became known as what were called deists. Deist believers are God, but he's just sitting up in heaven. He started it all, blessed it all, and he's just kind of watching us to see how well we do. But he's not involved in it. That's pure deism. And, and, and many of these men were deists, so they believed that reason, God gave us the ability to reason. Therefore, religion is based on exercising that ability to reason. And there's truth in that. The second main precept of, of, of the Age of Enlightenment was nature. Yes. Was nature is our main teacher. God has given us nature to teach about Him. That's Romans chapter 1. God has given us nature to show us about morality. God has given us nature, and it's our relationship with nature that begins to give us understanding of God and of the universe that He created. And, and those are a good first step, but everything was based on that. Now, I'm going to read you where this got to. This is a quote from one of these uh, enlightened men. His, he was the Viscount of Bolingbroke. And this is a quote from him. This is where, this is a, I'm reading this to you because this is an example of what we just read. This is man in the futility of his mind trying to understand God. How rational, reason, this is using reason to try to understand God. How rational could it be for the God of the whole universe to reveal himself only to one small nation in the eastern Mediterranean. That doesn't make sense, he says. And to leave the rest of the world in utter ignorance of his existence. This man obviously never read the Bible because the reason God created Israel was to be a witness to the world of what he was like. He goes on to say, this, listen, listen to this, it seemed even more irrational to believe that the supreme being of the cosmos had sent his only begotten son who had not offended him to be sacrificed by men who had offended him that he might expiate their sins and satisfy his own anger. Totally missed the gospel and the character and nature of God. This is man trying to... He can't conceive of him that a God would love us so much that he would John 3.16 us, that he would take his only begotten son and deliver him up for us all. The human mind in the best of workings could not grasp it. Why? Here's, oh, this is so good. Why? Because he's trying to draw conclusions about God from what we know about man. Because they look at it and say, there's no man that would do that. And that's right. Romans chapter 5. A man would never give himself up for an ungodly man. Maybe for a righteous man, some man might give himself up for. This is why in Numbers 23, God trying to show us about His words says, I'm not a man. God's not a man that He should lie. 
nor the son of a man, nor born of a man, that he should change his mind. Repent. In other words, all you know about people's words are what you know from each other, but I'm not one of you. So you can't draw a conclusion about my word by whether other people keep their word because I'm not a man. And oh, I didn't see this in my study. This is so good. God, this man and these others are trying to understand God with these tiny pea brain minds. Pea brain, not compared to mine. Their minds are enormously bigger than mine, but compared to God's, they're pea brain. So they're drawing conclusions about God. They're forming images of God based on what they know of man. And they can't see the intellectual failure of that. They're blinded. Whew! I'm glad I came today. All right, let's go, let's go back to John, John 17. We mentioned this last week. and this, I kind of left this with you to mull over. And now I want, to, I want to get into it and talk about it. one simple verse. Jesus is beginning to close out. Well, this is Jesus in his, what's called his high priestly prayer. He's about to go to the cross. He's finished preparing his disciples. He's about to go to the cross, and he's about to be arrested. And he prays. This is the only record we have of this. It's not in the other Gospels. He's praying, first of all, to his Father about himself. So he starts out by saying, Restore to me the glory that I had before I came to the earth. And then he prays for his disciples. He said, I've not lost one of them except the son of perdition, because it was, it was, for, it was prophesied that he would do what he did. And now he turns, and then he turn, he's going to turn in, in verse 20 and pray for us. But before he does that, he prays this, this is part of his prayer. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify means to set apart, to set apart from the world. Sanctify them by your truth. So the truth that we have is what sets us apart. I said that earlier. The church is the light of the world. Jesus said that. You are the light of the world. The only light that's in the world of truth comes through Jesus. We just read, Jesus is the truth. But He's not walking around in the world. We're His body that's in the world. And so we are the holders of truth. And the darkness is out in the world, and we are to take the light, this little light of mine. It's not just, you know, a little big lighter inside of you. It is the truth that people need to hear. They're hungry for truth. I believe with all my heart that sincere people want to hear truth. They're drawn to truth when they hear it because it's in such a contrast to all the confusion and all the spinning and all the stuff that's out there that's not truth that they're drawn to the truth just as fly bugs are drawn to the light at night in the summertime people are drawn I'm not calling you bugs are drawn to the truth as I've said that's why this one of the wonderful things in this church are how God's drawn people here so you have young young African people coming and hearing an old, white-haired, white man and listening. That doesn't fit in society. Why would I listen to him? He's irrelevant. I may be irrelevant, but the word in me is eternal. And it touches us. It's not about my personality. It's not about anybody else's personality. It's the truth. 
And Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So it's the truth that sanctifies us. It's the truth that sets us apart. It's because we're the only ones. Does that mean we're exclusive? No. But we are the ones that have the truth, because the truth is Jesus, and we have Jesus. But then he goes on to say, your word is truth. And this is what I left you with last week. He is not saying, and you always tell the truth. Because when we tell the truth, it's because there's something object... Now, we're not postmodernists, so we believe there really is a guitar here. So when I say something about that guitar, I might stand here and look at it and say, that's Pastor Kurt's guitar. It's a nice Gibson guitar. But it's not Gibson. I don't know, is it? No, Ibanez? Okay. But, but, so I could be wrong. So my words, the only way you know whether I've told you the truth is if you take my words and you come up here and you see if my words line up with this guitar. And they wouldn't have because with the capo off of it, it would say Ibanez, not Gibson. So what we would say is, Pastor John did not tell us the truth. That doesn't mean I lied, because my intention... I was wrong. And that's what we all do. To the best of our knowledge, if we're sincere, we're trying to have our words match up with the reality that's out there. And when you decide to trust somebody, it's through a process of over-experience. Can I trust that their words will match the experience? And here's the mistake we make. When it comes to God, we do the same thing the postmodernists do. We think God's doing the same thing we're doing, so when God says something, we then go check it out to see if we can trust Him. So we take God's Word, and then we go measure it against our experiences to decide whether God told us the truth. But God's not a man that He should lie. See, there's a difference between God's words and our words. In our words, to the best of our intention, we try to accurately speak or describe what the reality is that's out here. God's words create the reality. So truth is defined by the Bible as whatever God says. So when God says something, that's what truth is. Truth is not some independent thing that's way out there in the cosmos, which is kind of what Aristotle thought. Way out there, and we decide whether somebody's accurate or not by measuring it against that. No, no. Everything that exists... Now think about this. Everything that exists, exists by God's Word, doesn't it? Let there be. God created the heavens and the earth with His words. Hebrews 1.3 said it's still held together by the Word of His power. This is why Jesus could speak to storms and they would instantly obey Him. It's the same voice that spoke all of creation into existence and it stills obey Him. I'll never forget Lafayette was here one day. It turned my whole thinking around. He said, you understand man's the only thing God ever created that doesn't instantly obey Him. We're the only thing God created that does not instantly obey Him. Because all of creation has no choice. The reason we don't instant, have to instantly obey Him is God gave us our own free will. 
God's Word is truth. Or you could turn it around and say, truth is God's Word. You need to understand this, because if you get into discussions, you hear people out there talking about truth, you've got to bring it into the filter of God's definition. So if it didn't come from God, it's not truth. It may be like truth, but truth comes from God. You're all looking at me kind of strange. So uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everybody okay? Still with me? All right. We'll take our time through this. We may not get that it was all done today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Talking about the time... Wait a minute. Verse 1. I'm sorry. Talking about the latter days. But this we know that in the last times perilous or dangerous times will come. Why? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, bunch of uns there, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, whoo, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If that were not true, the houses of God would be filled this morning. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. I don't want to get into the issue of women or not women, but I want to make this comment. Because I've, I've had occasion to, to understand over this last week that there are some people that are beginning to, to, to read things, read messages into things in this church that are not messages. And, and specifically, the new graphics we have behind the words for praise and worship, there are people that are drawing spiritual conclusions from the shapes. Like there's hidden messages. There was a big thing back in the 80s about frogs and toads that if you had a picture of a frog in your house, it was demons. So this is just a re-version of that. I want to say a couple of things about that. One of the ways to discern truth is the Bible says, in John, uh, Peter Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 8, that the spirit, your spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit. So when you hear truth, your spirit will bear witness with it. It will, it will it, you, just like a little light will go on. And the more, the more you learn to listen to that, the, more, the clearer that gets. But here's the other side of that. When you hear something that's not true, fear, it'll create fear. And when I hear people saying, whoa, I think there's a hidden subliminal message in all of this, they're coming out of fear. And here's my concern. There are people out there teaching these things. You've got to be very careful who you're listening to. I've shared with you before, Edwin Lewis Cole used to say, know the spirit that's behind the person that you're sitting under or that you're listening to. I don't watch whoever's on Christian TV. In fact, I don't watch a lot of Christian TV. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I don't, I don't, because there are all kinds of mixed messages out there. And mixed messages confuse us. And as a shepherd, as a pastor of this church, I get concerned over people getting confused 
confused because they're listening to all kinds of other voices out there. That doesn't mean I'm the only voice you should ever listen to. But you need to, if you've got questions, ask. And fortunately, some people have come and asked me. God doesn't speak to us that way. God speaks to us through the very thing He gave us. Okay, let's go on. Let's go to verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things in which you've learned. It's talking about the times we're in now. It's very confusing, very deceiving. And it's not just benign. There are forces out there trying to, con- con- to deceive us. You must continue in the things which you've learned, being assured of and knowing from whom you've learned them. That's what I was just talking about. Know who you're listening to. Know where they're coming from. If they're passing fear, be very careful. It can be attractive to the mind, but what's your spirit saying? And from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. So Paul is calling Timothy, who was the pastor of the church, a young man, calling him back to what he known as a youth from the Scriptures. He's calling him back to the Scriptures as the foundation for truth. And look at this, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. All spirit, Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration literally means God breathed. God breathed. So the so Scripture is God breathing His life into you every time you open it and take it in. When I get up in the morning, I pull aside and I spend time in the Scriptures, not just reading through it, but eating them, taking them in, meditating on them, trying to absorb them down into my heart to allow God's breath in me. Genesis 2.7, and God breathed on this pile of dirt and He became a living soul. God's breath in Him made Him alive. Jesus breathed on the disciples and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's breath came and filled them on the day of Pentecost. The breath, the pneuma, the, the Spirit of God filled them with the life of God. This word is alive. It says it's living, it's alive. It's the only book on the face of the earth that's alive, that's living. You can't ever get bored in it. If you're bored in it, then you've lost touch with the Spirit that's inside of you. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. You've just lost touch with the Spirit in you. And you need to get back into that. Because this is God speaking to you from heaven, His wisdom, His direction. Just strength for the day. Just encouragement for the day. It's God breathe. God is truth, and He's breathing His truth into us. So all the other sources, we've got a bookstore filled with wonderful books about the Word of God, about God, and that's great, but it's never a substitute for this one. It's never a substitute. There is a power, there is an authority, there's a life in this book when you're taking this in directly that cannot come from those other books. And most of those men and women that are honest enough will tell you that. It's no substitute for it. It can help us, give us understanding of this book, give us understanding, but never take it as a substitute. Never feed on those books, primarily feed on this book. And it's able, look at verse 17 then. But the man of God must be complete, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So there are many voices out there trying to speak to you the truth. And you need to know who you're listening to. Now let's go down to verse... Oh, I made a mistake. You might give in the notes. It's chapter 4. Just keep going down. I said 5. It's 4. So here's God's answer to them. I charge you, therefore... Thank you. Before God... This is the same thought. By the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. The answer to this darkness, the answer to the confusion, the answer to all this is not to argue, it's to preach the Word, which is what I'm doing now. Be ready in season or out. When it's popular and when it's not popular, convince, rebuke, exhort, encourage with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're getting into that time. According, this is, this is what I want you to According to their own desires. Satan's out there trying to draw on your desires. To, to your own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Notice how this works. They won't endure sound doctrine. Doctrine is what keeps us stable. Doctrine is what keeps us confused. Uh, from getting confused. Doctrine is like a compass when you're on a journey. For, for according, because according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. So Satan comes and he tries to look at your desire. What is it you're yearning for? And he tries to satisfy that with what we're going to see in a minute is fables. And that's what I was hearing about this week. He tries to satisfy it with other things. I remember Pastor Sam, the founding pastor of this church. So people would come up to him and say, Pastor, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? And he would just look at them as only he could and says, have you gotten so bored with Jesus you've got to chase after those things? Paul says about Jesus, in Him are the unsearchable riches of God. If you're ever bored with Jesus, you're in trouble. But it's when we get bored with Jesus, we start looking out for other things. And we get itching ears. And they will heap up for themselves. And the time we're in right now, that's so easy because of the internet and the avenues the internet offers to us. It's so easy to go Google people and come up with teachers. YouTube, you listen to one thing, I listened to one thing yesterday morning, and all kinds of other things pop up. Don't just listen to what's out there. One of the things I want to do is teach you how to discern truth for yourself. Because I don't just, because something's out there, something's in writing, something's on YouTube, I don't automatically, in fact, I'm very skeptical unless I know the person. Verse 4. And will turn their ears away from the truth. This is what we're being drawn to. This is what we're being tempted. To turn their ears away from the truth. And we've talked about this before. To be turned aside to fables. Fables are stories that man makes up to teach a truth that man has come up with on his own. And I've used the example of the three little pigs. House of straw, house of hay, house of bricks... The moral of that story is the house that stood was based on the materials that the pigs used to build the house. So build your life on good material. Build your life on good material. Jesus told a parable that communicated truth from God, 
which was two men that built houses. One stood and the other fell. The difference was not what, the, what they made the house out of. The difference is what they built their house on. Very subtle difference. But the difference between truth and fable. The house built on the rock is the house built on obedience to God's word. The house built of bricks is what you make your life into. It exalts you and your choices and your efforts. Oh, we've got to bring this to an end. We've got to bring this to an end. I'm just going to jump down to verse 7. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. He's telling us to be watchful in this age we live in, to be aware, to learn that there are many deceptive things out there, even on Christian TV, even on Christian radio. There are things out there, just because it says Christian does not mean it's God speaking to you. Just because it's Christian just because it says it's Christian does not mean... And be careful of brother once a name and sister glorious word who comes up and gives you a word from the Lord. I have a standard answer. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Does that mean I throw it out? No. I put it on a shelf. Now, it depends on who you are. If I know you and know you've had words from me before that were, came through, then I will tend to put it in the front of the shelf. But keep in mind when you go giving words, in the Old Testament, if you considered yourself a prophet, they had an easy standard. They take your prophecy and they see if it happened. If it happened, then there was a chance you were a prophet. If it didn't happen, you were not a prophet, you were a non-prophet. That's an old one. However, Nowadays, it's easy for them, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, without any fear of God of whether it's really speaking for God. I have a fear of God to make sure I don't say anything up here. It doesn't mean I've ever missed it. That's not I believe of God. And if I'm going to tell you my opinion, I'm going to tell you it's my opinion and it's not what God's put in me. Because in the Old Testament, if you prophesied and it didn't come true, they took you outside the city and stoned you to death. So you better know it's God because if you're wrong... All right, we need to bring this to a close. Over in 2 Corinthians 4, we're not going to turn there. Paul says that to those who aren't seeing the truth, the truth veiled, curtain. And it's Satan is the one that blinds the eyes of those that don't believe, lest they see the glory of the gospel, the light of the gospel that's in the face of Jesus Christ. It's Satan blinding people's eyes. But my concern is that Satan's trying to confuse the church. And we can't go out there with the light of the gospel if we're confused. So to sum it up, the lessons are be very careful what you're listening to and who you're listening to because that's getting down in your spirit. Make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Make sure your spirit bears witness with it. Make sure the fruit of it is not fear or condemnation. Because God will not give you a spirit of fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear, so He will not try to make you afraid. 
People are afraid to leave the book of Revelation and Jesus starts out by saying, I'm sharing this with you out of love. It's the love of God. And if you have any question, just come ask one of us. That's part of why we're here for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We're preparing to go out into this world. Thank you that we can come to a place like this and together open the Word of God and allow you to speak to us through your Word. And I pray, Father, over the seeds of the Word that by your Spirit have been planted in our hearts this morning, that you would take that Word and cause it to germinate, that you would bring across our paths those sources of truth that we can trust and listen to, and you would give us discernment of what not to listen to. Father, if any of us have itching ears that were unsettled, help us to come back to the security of our relationship, the satisfaction of our relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. Because He alone can fill us. He alone can guide us. He alone, O Lord, is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. I thank You, Father, for this body of believers that You've put here so that we can do the work together that You've called us to do. Help us and protect us, Lord, as we prepare to go out into this dark world and bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into this world. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.